The information in this podcast is current on the day of recording. It is general advice only and does not take your personal situation into account. It may not be suitable for you. Welcome to Stock Take. My name is Gaurav Sodi. Joining me today is analyst Nick Cummings. Hey, Nick. Morning, Gaurav. And with us also is Graham Whitcomb. Hello, Graham. Hey, Gaurav. Gents, our first podcast for 2023. Now we have to settle the biggest question I think we're going to face all year, which is how late can you say Happy New Year and still be acceptable? <laughs> I think February is too late. I think we've lost it. It's got to be in January, right? No, first, first, first quarter of the year and you're okay. <laughs> first quarter? You can't do that, Greg. It's in March or April. You have something now. No, surely not. Nick, what do you Put some joy in people's lives, Gaurav. <laughs> <laughs> you just confuse them. Yeah, no, I think you've got about a fortnight afterwards. A fortnight? Jeez, you're yeah. straight. You got, I think I'm down the middle between you two extremists. Um, I reckon you get January. Then we're back to Merry Christmas. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. I reckon you get January. Um, but anyway, we probably won't settle that long debate um, today. What we can sort of think about is the looming reporting season, which is always an introduction to the financial year, I think, for, for us. And this year, it's, I think, a bit perplexing. Um, both of you, I know, are looking at or have looked at retail stocks in the past. And this is an area which I find really interesting at the moment. I mean, these are notionally really, really cheap. Now, retailers, both um, kind of discretionary and even everything except the supermarkets are looking quite, quite cheap. Um, but the expectation is that um, these rising interest rates are going to crunch household and spending is going to fall off a cliff. And I think that's a reasonable expectation. But so far, we're not seeing it in the numbers. Graham, you, you wrote up Nick Scully's numbers, and I know the stock fell on the day, but I thought this was quite an extraordinary result. I, was, I thought this was much better than I would have expected. What do you think it tells us? Well, tell us a bit about the result, first of all, and then what do you think it tells us about the state of the consumer? Well, it definitely tells us that people set share prices based on expectations, not what's happening already or what happened in mm. uh, the past. So this was a great result. The Yeah, the revenue was up more than 50%, net profit up 70%. I mean, if you had just gone through the numbers, it was one big tick after another and nothing but kind of upward pointing green arrows. But uh, there's definitely things kind of bubbling through in the economy slowly that that suggests that that is probably the last great result you're going to get for a while from Nick Scully. So, right. yeah, the, the main thing is that it's tied very closely to housing starts. And, yeah, those numbers have just dropped 20% or more since uh, this time last year. And that will eventually filter through, like, because there's a delay in the length of time it takes to actually build a home, mm -hmm. approvals from the beginning to completion might take a year or two. So if you're optimistic, <laughs> and so that means that there's this kind of lag effect where you'll see what's going to happen to Nick Scarley's result kind of, uh, yeah, ahead of time by watching what those approvals are doing. So we know that they've gone down kind of 20% now. So it'd be very, very surprising if the, if revenue stays where it is. And that would explain both the share price move and I guess the current multiples, which look just look extraordinarily cheap for a business of this quality, right? So there may not be a screening opportunity there. Yeah, it's only trading at kind of 10 or 11 times earnings at the moment. Mm. But, uh, but I mean, they're going to go down quite a bit. So yeah, it's a, it's a bit of an illusion. You're probably looking at an underlying 
price earnings ratio of, of maybe 15 or so. But uh, I mean, that's not terrible for a yeah. business that's, I mean, it's it's done great. But uh, so far over the last kind of five years, it's grown from a pretty small business to a big one. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, in terms of what's going to happen over the next 10 years, they really don't have that many levers to go to uh, boost sales apart from rolling out stores. But that was kind of the main disappointment of this result was that they hardly opened any stores and it didn't exactly sound optimistic of what was going to happen in the next year. Hmm. Nick, what areas are you looking forward to in reporting season? What do you think looks interesting? What, throw us your two cents about um, where you think the consumer is, is headed as well. Yeah, well, I think so far like the market updates and the early results point to the consumer is still pretty strong. Those interest rate rises really haven't hit consumer balance sheets yet. But you are noticing a lot of the retailers and other businesses as well announcing good results, but mentioning that the outlook, that they're not sure on the outlook. There's not as much visibility as they've had in the past. And you are starting to see one or two companies that are reporting weaker results. Uh, One we've written up previously, ARB, uh, profits were down 30% the other day in a market update and revenue down as well. And obviously they benefit a lot from the pandemic, but that's starting to wind back. And I guess my hope for a lot of these companies, particularly ARB, that we think is a good quality company, is that uh, demand does weaken a little bit and we can actually pick this company up on on the cheap. But it's it's still a well above 20 times earnings and um, an opportunity doesn't seem, doesn't seem as large there yet. Yeah, ditto with, um, with other building stocks. I think stocks that are economically sensitive, I'm surprised they haven't fallen more. So Reese and James Hardy, probably two I've got on my personal watch list. I'd love to own them both. And they're both, I think, ought to there ought to be lower expectations in those businesses when you look at what's happening in their respective markets. And, and the prices just have not fallen anywhere close to what I think would be acceptable. I think we still need to see another 20 30% fall in those share prices before I personally start to get interested. But the quality seems to be expensive um, still across the board. Um, yeah. The the same, I noticed just uh, recently with Transurban where yeah. for the last decade, everyone's been pitching that as kind of an annuity style stock that's going to be measured against the bond yields. But uh, the yield has almost tripled on bonds over the past yeah. 18 months and yet Transurban is basically unchanged in its share price. So what happened to the yeah. <laughs> to the interest rates go up and Transurban goes down? It seems like it's it's gone up as they went down, but doesn't want to do the inverse to that. Yeah, I agree. In fact, I think the, the story on Transurban has completely flipped, um, completely agree. That used to be a kind of a, a yield stock, a play on interest rates. And now it's become a inflation protection stock because you know you got the CPI increases baked in. And now I, I, I think when you see these flip flop of stories happening in in markets, it's a real warning sign. Um, and that particular business, if I could short a stock, um, I'd be tempted by that one. I think that looks the, the numbers look outrageous on that. I don't understand the price. I think the yeah, market's I agree. completely wrong. I don't really get the whole inflation link either because no. they've had a floor for inflation for ages anyway. So they, they're, in terms of the inflation-linked tolls, most of them had a floor of 4%. So they were already getting that. Mm. So if we assume inflation averages like 5 or 6%, unless you're really thinking something extreme so that there's kind of a 
like a long tail hedge you could use it for. But um, as long as inflation isn't totally crazy, then you're only kind of getting an extra percentage point or two of growth. And uh, yet that interest rate rise has like clobbered its mm. uh, discounted cash flow valuation. <laughs> yeah, I would have thought so. I would have thought so. I, 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 yeah, like I said, I don't understand that price at all. Um, from the stocks that I cover, um, I've, I've noticed, and I don't know, Nick, if you've seen the same thing, but the um, US reporting season is, is sometimes illuminating um, and tells you a little bit what's going to happen here. So the things I've been looking at are, the, are these cloud computing businesses in the US, and the numbers there have definitely slowed down. And I think this narrative of endless structural growth in cloud computing might be challenged. I think we might find that this is actually a, a more cyclical part of the market than we expect. And I think that has implications for for next DC and um, maybe Megaport and possibly Macquarie Telecom as well. I think all those three stocks, they might see a weaker growth. And certainly next DC, I think, is and is vulnerable to multiple contraction as well, because that thing is still expensive on multiples. So let's say Mac Telecom is is not that expensive on multiples. And I, and I don't think it had fully engaged in the cloud computing froth but um I, i'm next dc is probably one that i'm going to be watching very very closely because they've built a whole lot of capacity they've got a whole bunch of debt and if they don't and if the contract went slow i think that stock could potentially get cheap um, and i still think it's a high quality business so i think that would be an opportunity um, so that's one i'm going to be watching very closely um, nick anything i know you you know in your former life you used to follow international markets Anything else you've noticed um, with this US reporting season that's relevant? Yeah, absolutely. I think there's been a, a pretty large divergence. The cyclicals over there are actually reporting fairly decent numbers, whereas the main impact or the, the main earnings cuts have come from the technology names. Some of the names you alluded to, the big cloud computing um, players, Microsoft, uh, Amazon, Google, um, and even uh, Facebook. But a lot of the froth is now coming out of that technology market, but there's no doubt the revenue rates um, are slowing down uh, dramatically. And, and the growth that investors were expecting only a year ago is not eventuating. Um, on Touching on the cloud computing um, particularly, I guess the revenue is slowing down and there are other companies mentioning that they are reducing their cloud spending. And that is one of the, I guess, beauties of the model and why so many uh, companies have adopted it is it is on demand. So you can scale it up and scale it down. And so you're actually seeing these companies like Amazon and Microsoft who have built out the capacity, their margins are now coming down because right. they've built out the capacity, but it's just not getting used. Yeah. And so that, that's really impacting um, the share prices of those businesses. But for the most part, you, the US reporting season has been pretty good. It's just the technology area that's been here. Yeah. Those, with those kind of businesses, does it, does it mean that if they're not using that capacity, is there kind of a... Um, an obsolescence so quick of the technology that they're using that it's then just wasted or will they be able to kind of mop up that capacity with other, I don't know, in five years time or something or other, or have they just built too much and then they've got to rip it all up and put the new stuff in? Um, I, my understanding is that they, they won't rip it up. It, it's, it's, it's there and it can last a while once the um, capacity comes back and 
data is still expected to ex- um, expand dramatically over the next you know, 10 years. Um, so I doubt they'll rip it up and it's definitely not um, obsolete, but they are slowing how much capacity they are bringing online. So you've already seen, uh, I think Google in particular, cut their data centre spending and Amazon as well. But for me, it's not really the technological obsolescence. It's just the very high expectations. And I think the the story about data might prove to be the wrong story. You know, this idea that there's endless amounts of growth and very high growth. I think we'll find that um, there's a lot of cyclicality. It's more cyclicality in that cloud computing data storage area than people previously believed. And I'm not sure that's in the price yet. I think that's going to be come, come as a bit of a shock. Um, if that turns out to be the case, which is why I'd be I'd be cautious on some of these uh, former darlings, and and particularly um, something like NextDC, which has a, a huge amount of debt on balance sheet. We recently downgraded the buy price on NextDC, and I'll um, be watching that result pretty closely. Um, and and I suspect that the the buy price might come down a, a little bit further because the the debt really increases the risk, and that's where I, I would say Mac Telecom has an advantage. But um, Anything else, Graham? I know you're watching stuff over in in Canada. Um, when uh, have you heard anything else? Well, Credit Corp. Um, the US? Oh yes, that's Credit Corp right. reported Credit Corp. this week. Yeah, yeah. Not that that has yeah, much to do with a... Canada, but they they are. <laughs> well, they operate market, over right? here, so yeah. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting one because it it uh yeah because it's there's just so many different levers with it where. For those of you, for, for anyone who doesn't know it, it's a debt collector uh, where it's buying already defaulted debt from the banks and then trying to squeeze a few extra pennies out of it. Uh, so it's an interesting case where when the economy starts to deteriorate, what you see is collections tend to dip because, well, even though that the people have already defaulted, the the possibility of getting anything more out of these debt ledgers is uh, going down. But at the same time, the supply of the ledgers actually goes up because the banks are writing off more debt. So you get this interesting dynamic where Credit Corp needs to kind of survive the first down leg of the economy by maintaining its collections, but then at the same time kind of benefits over the longer term because it can purchase all these extra ledgers for mm. uh, cheaper than it could before. So at the moment, we're at a weird kind of transition where the economy is starting to slowed down a bit. Collections dipped a little bit this half. But um, in Australia, there's still it's still just extremely competitive for ledgers. The banks aren't writing off enough mm. to match the demand by the collection agencies. In the US, it's not like that. Over there, there's tons of them kind of flooding out. And so there's plenty of capacity to or plenty of um, supply that Credit Corp can, can then kind of make use of with its staff and it's actually switching some Australian stuff over to the US but yeah back at just home that, it's it's just on that point yeah. Graham um I thought the there were two Australian competitors that went bust right um what was it Pioneer and what's the other big one collection, um, house. collection house collection house yeah 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 so I would have thought it'd be much easier for them to um to to get good prices on the Australian um debt is that is there more competition than we think, or has it just been not enough bad debts popping up? That's exactly right. Yeah, the banks just aren't writing it off fast right. enough. They're either <laughs> holding on to the thing, holding on to the uh, collections more themselves, or they're selling it at 
too high a price for Credit Corp to actually make use of. I have a feeling Credit Corp's always been a very, um, uh, what's the word, um, responsible collector mm-hmm. when it comes to purchasing these ledgers in the sense that it seems to have stricter hurdles than, or, well, two of its competitors went bust, as you said, so they mm-hmm. obviously didn't have very strict hurdles. But the they tend to be much more um, careful with pricing the ledgers at the beginning when they're actually getting them from the banks. So I wonder whether the slowdown at the moment is is more that they're pushing up their required hurdle rates in anticipation of the slowdown to try and get ahead of it, and that's what's caused the pullback. I but, see. So um, they did- Yeah, there's a lot of discretion here, and it's really hard to know whether that's sensible conservatism or them just not not doing their job properly. You know, we only when you get an answer to that question years down the track. So you're saying that they're just showing a lot of conservatism right now um, in in actually buying the ledgers. I suspect that this is exactly the right time in the cycle to probably show that sort of conservatism. Yeah, I agree. I think they're doing the the right thing now. It was. I think the the trouble with it though is that they kind of packed on a little bit of extra debt over the past year mm. uh, in terms of corporate debt. <laughs> That's the irony is that they're in the debt business, but they mm. you don't want the actual business itself to be holding debt that it then has to pay back. So uh, yeah, they, they've increased. They used to have a net cash position for ages, but mm. that seems to have changed over the past couple of years as they were purchasing uh the ledgers from Collection House when it went bust or then expanding its US division. So now the company has a bit too much corporate debt, I think. And management has said they're going to slow down that and start to repay it over the next six months to reduce it. So I hope that goes through because it's coming at the right time. The psychology here is interesting, right? This is a company that spends its days dealing or mopping up with the consequences of of too much debt. And you hope they learn a lesson for that after seeing it every single day. (laughs) And they had uh, a, yeah, a it is. blow up a few years ago, right? Well, not not few. Maybe maybe 10, 15 years ago, they had a big blow up, didn't they? Yeah, I think the companies they they get obsessed with um with debt, and because you can buy it so cheap, I mean, they're buying these written off loans for cents on the dollar, basically. Yeah. And it's just very tempting when you see the collection start to increase that you then want to dive in and buy in even more. Mm-hmm. And uh, the way to do that is to take on debt of your own. But yeah, it's the survivor who who ultimately earns the good returns, not whoever's earning the highest in the short term. I imagine the incentive package for management is just super important to get across because if they're incentivized to take on more business or expand the balance sheet, then uh, they're, they're probably going to take on extra risk. Um, and yeah, they, I think this is the kind of business where when you say no, you know, it's, it's really important to see when management says no or declines business is super important. Yeah, definitely. That's the uh, the number one thing. Is there a risk, Graham, that oh, recently that the consumer's been just too strong and the banks haven't been selling these books off because the losses haven't been as high as they previously have been? Yeah, I think so. The, the issue through the pandemic was that a lot of the people who would have fallen into financial distress didn't because the, the government kind of supported everyone with the cash handouts so i think that did lead to a lack of ledgers during the past kind of year or so uh credit corp is pretty lucky that it was able to pick up those failed competitors books because otherwise the uh its purchasing would have would have shrunk over that period um 
but yeah, it'll be it'll depend a lot on the how the economy does now, and particularly unemployment rates. That'll eventually feed through into more uh, what's it called write-offs at the banks, and then that'll feed through until we get to better pricing for the actual ledgers. Mm. Um, it really comes down to that supply and demand for the the ledgers. The actual collections is a pretty standard process. It's uh, and also relatively consistent. There isn't, I mean, apart from huge blowups like during the financial crisis or something, uh, the collections are pretty predictable. Credit Corp can actually, it's, it amazes me how how predictable they are. Um, Credit Corp can predict a ledger's return like within a couple of percent, um, wow. which is nice yeah, kind of crazy. So yeah, I guess when crazy. they're dealing en masse with thousands mm. and thousands and thousands of defaulted loans, it becomes predictable, uh, even if you can't predict any one individual's uh, response. But yeah, I mean, it, it ultimately that, comes down to the the pricing at the beginning, not the collections. That phenomenon has always shocked me. You know, you, you can meet an individual and sure, every individual is, is different. And sometimes you get surprised when you meet someone quirky, but it shocks me how much when you aggregate uh, people together, how predictable mass behavior is and how common and unsurprising it is it, it, it always surprises me like you see it time and time again and it seems to be consistent all over the world it, it, i don't know whether they're depressed by that actually i think that that's quite that's very worrying that um you know taking together our behavior is so easy to see and easy to predict and i'm sure that's how the ai will get us in the end obviously <laughs> yeah maybe the insurance industry kind of kinda relies on it yeah, that's right. They probably have such good insights there. Yeah. Hey, can you I was reading more? recently about the uh, car insurers who are using they they're buying data for based on what browser you use and this kind of thing, yeah, your yeah. internet usage, mm. and then they feed that into their pricing models and this kind of thing. That wow. whether you use Chrome or Safari, on mass is predictable of whether you're going to have a crash or whether you're going to make a claim or that's this kind of thing. That's I'd love to know who the risky customers are. <laughs> yeah, that is astonishing. Yeah. Well, you know, who's that? What's that big hedge fund that um, that quantitative hedge fund that uh, has performed sixty you know, percent a year for, oh, for thirty years? What's Renaissance. It Renaissance. Yeah, 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 that's yeah. It. So their their algorithms are famously opaque. Um, and then for those who don't know, this is a, a, a hedge fund that has generated 60% returns over 20 or 30 years. Um, that's an annual return for 20, 30 years. I mean, you think Buffett's done less than half of that and is held as the greatest investor of all time. Um, I think the the guys at Renaissance will have something to say about that. But they, they go around and they hire um, uh, PhDs, Nobel Prize winners, um, only the smartest people in every field. So they might have like a chemical engineer or a physicist or an astronomer or something like that and they put these people together and they come up with these really esoteric algorithms and no one knows exactly what they are but the rumors that i've read um, and there's a great book about this um the man who knew too much i think it's called the rumors are that they yeah that they make these really outrageous connections between data points and their <laughs> regression models are just insanely large so uh, I think we're late to the party on this. I think if we had figured this out about human behavior 20 years ago, we could have been uh, could have been billionaires by now, boys. We missed it. 
wasn't <laughs> wasn't the rumor that one of them was if it was sunny in Paris that the <laughs> that the S and P five hundred was more likely to open up or down? I forget which direction, but that yeah, that wouldn't surprise me. That's the kind of stuff I've heard as well. Like it's complete. It, it sounds complete nonsense, but then you look at their returns, and and it's very difficult to laugh that off, right? Of course, it. Um, I guess if enough people don't believe something, then they might be able to just squeeze out these tiny little differences. So if nobody is following what's happening in Paris to what would the weather in Paris to decide on pricing in America, then um, maybe they can find an edge of 0.1% or something and work with that. It's probably much less than that, I'm guessing. I'm I'm convinced that any good idea now, especially when it comes to investing or finance related, any good idea has to sound crazy, outrageous and stupid, otherwise someone would have done it already. And um, I did like that article you did last year of like the, the, I can't remember what it was called, the crazy, the crazy portfolio or something. Oh yeah, the crazy portfolio. I don't actually go back and see how that's done. Um, One of the companies in that crazy portfolio has um, pre-announced, that was Ike GPS and um, that was a stunning result. I was really, really impressed with that. Um, That might be, it's still too small for us to cover, but um, I've been really impressed with how that business has progressed. I don't know if you've ever looked at that, Nick, in your in your old world, but um, that's a that's an interesting little business there. Yeah, no, I haven't looked at it as um, in depth as you, as yourself, but um, I, I did see that market update and just from the headline numbers. It looks like it's um, you know going gangbusters. Yeah, it's, it's still a small business, but don't worry. Once it triples, we'll be able to cover it, and then we can, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> we, can, we can bring it into the coverage. Who's the yeah. crazy one now? <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, well, I think for a business like that, there's still a long way to go. If, if Even if it does triple, I, I still think the runway is so big. If it's working, um, you, you have plenty of time to buy it and do very well if it works. And you sort of save yourself the headache of, of losses if it's not working. It's some, I think it's sometimes um, a sensible idea. I mean, the discipline imposed by having to you know, uh, maintain a certain market cap um, in, on our coverage list, that can that's usually a good thing. It usually saves us from... from blow-ups and mistakes, I feel. Although this one might be an exception. Uh, Great. Listen, um, I've been trying to get uh, some information on the American expansion, because I think this is the this is the last one we'll do on critical, by the way, and then we'll move on. Uh, but uh, um, I understand that, um, I mean, this is where the growth will come from. This is where the future of the business is, right? And it I mean, I'm surprised that, um, that Credit Corp isn't more of a darling because the opportunity in the US just looks extraordinary to me. It seems like the, the structure of the market is not as tied up as it is here. Um, these guys know exactly what they're doing. They've done it for a long time and, and they're setting up um, quite patiently and they seem to be doing well over there. Is that your impression as well? Yeah, it does seem that they're doing well and they've grown pretty well and pretty steadily. It's funny, I remember covering their initial plans to expand like eight years ago or so and uh just seeing it was never some sort of dramatic push they could have very easily gone in being aggressive with pricing like i mentioned earlier and taken a huge chunk of market share very easily Mm. but they didn't do that they've spent the last kind of eight years pacing themselves gathering uh banks to work with to have better relationships or better forward flow agreements or whatever Mm. and uh yeah they've just been building it up slowly but on a more solid base and yeah from what i can tell that seems to be working it is a much larger market than here uh it's more favorable in some ways as well than australia it's got a much uh more established kind of legal framework for collections so they 
can pursue you know, court cases much more easily over there to get collections out of people, though that ultimately feeds back to uh, different pricing on the ledgers as well. So it kind of can even out. But from what I can gather, it's a pretty favorable environment for debt collectors. Yeah, it looks like an interesting opportunity. Um, and just remind us, what's the, what's actually, no, we won't discuss that because this podcast is free, but I was going to ask you to break on that, but maybe we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, pack, we'll save the, the record details for, um, for subscribers. <laughs> um, Nick, um, let's leave Credit Corp for a second. I wanted to ask you about, um, I think overnight, I read that uh, Google launched their AI um, mm. product and um, <laughs> I don't know if you saw what happened, but apparently there's some sort of disaster as they were launching it and the stock prices, I think it was down seven, 8% um, this morning. And this has become a real battleground um, AI generation. And it seems to be between Microsoft and Google. Now, obviously this has all been set up by ChatGTP. Tell us what is the impact of uh, ChatGTP on, on Google? We, we often talk about Google, I think in, internally, well, for me anyway, Google is the benchmark um, that you measure other ideas by. You know, if 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 you if I'm looking at a stock and um, I want to sense check it, I'll just compare. I'll say, well, I can buy Google for 16 times, or I can buy this this mm. business, and and that's kind of my sense check. But I don't know if that's still relevant anymore. Is it still? Should I still be sense checking stuff with Google? Is that still the default go to best stock, or or has is the empire about to crumble? Okay, I mean, it's impossible to say, but... Um, oh, chat- go on, say it, say it. <laughs> <laughs> and give I, us a date. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, no, well, chat GPT definitely, which for everyone that doesn't know, is uh, Microsoft back, but there's a consortium of other investors as well, um, AI tool that's now free to use, so you can type that into your Google search engine, I guess, and find it. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's <fine. laughs> um, But yeah, it, it can do all sorts of cool things. So it can, you know, I was testing it the other day, you know, write a devotional poem to a politician or write this play in a, <laughs> a serious play in a comedic style. And it does all this instantly. So it's quite a powerful tool. And obviously it can um, uh, complete a lot of the mundane search um, functions um, as well. There is some limitations to this product, but it's you know anticipated it'll get a lot better. Like the the information is only up to date till two thousand twenty one. Um, still, a lot of people use search to actually find advertising, and what I mean by that is if you're looking for a restaurant to go out to dinner for, if you're looking for um, uh, yeah, a hotel to travel to, it, this probably isn't the product for you. But if you're just looking for factual answers, um, it does quite a good job. The reason I think, uh, there's a few reasons I think Google was down 8% last night, but one of them was uh, Google had recently promised to release their own version, which I guess if you were a Google bull, everyone thought that their version will be just far superior yeah. than this than this version. I must and admit, then, I, I did think that as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah. And then it uh, pretty much failed when they mm. did this um, live event. And then it apparently, I, I haven't not across all the details, but it also uh, released the wrong information live. Mm. Um, so it was pretty much a disaster, definitely a PR disaster. And Google's got to be careful because, uh, and they, and they've mentioned this. Um, before as well. ChatGBT is the startup can afford 
mistakes because it's a new product. Mm. Google's got a lot of reputational risk if they start yeah. releasing um, a poorer product with you know, the wrong answers. I think the big threat going forward for Google is, and you can see this with the Microsoft share price as well, Google's share price is dropping, but Microsoft's isn't rising. So what I think it means is, or what the market's expecting, that this is a threat to the overall pie of search advertising. Not that Microsoft is going to win um, maybe a lot more share of advertising so much, but this the pie is going to shrink because if you're using chat GPT or Google's own version, a, a chat product, instead of searching, you're seeing less ads. You're also scrolling. You're not scrolling through the feed, which would show you more ads as well. So the ad load will be significantly less. Now, you know, uh, I think we've previously mentioned that uh, people have used this product or Google for 20 years. So there's there's going to be a lot of um, resistance to, to move over. And it seems to be the only people that have so far using ChatGP are mainly professionals. It's, it's not really used for... Um, for typical search functions, yet people are just sort of playing on it rather than um, using it day to day. But now, Nick, are you suggesting that there's not a good use of, of poetry written in in, in the style of, of Tony Soprano or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> not yet, anyway. I, I guess for some people it probably is, but um, yeah, no, there there are, there are definitely limitations. But it, it's one of the biggest threats to. Uh, the Google search monopoly that's happened in pretty much since Bing tried to um, put all their resources to try and overtake it probably over a decade ago. Yeah, no, this is this is fascinating. I'm, I'm this has become one of my my new favorite battles to to watch. Mm. And, um, this this Google versus not even I think that you raise a good point there. It's not really Google versus Microsoft. It's really um, existing search versus kind of AI, the, the new AI. Yeah. And I um, think. I think yeah, sorry, right. just it's Google versus itself, as in like Google may have to cannibalize its own ad revenues mm -hmm. to keep market share, uh, to keep search market share or, or um, you know, minutes um, per viewer or, or however you define it. I think that's the risk. That's so but, fascinating. It'll be interesting to see how they respond to that because this is a company that um, it, it's it's tried very hard. It's, it's you know almost a trillion dollar business. It's tried really hard to maintain a startup culture and mm -hmm. to maintain disruption. And now here's the test, right? He, can will yeah. they disrupt themselves um, to, yeah. to catch this new market? Yeah. Just a final point too, I, I guess, on all of that. Microsoft is the one company you probably don't want to be competing with in this space. Mm. And the reason why is and they're already starting to do this, but they're introducing the product through Microsoft Office. So as a, also like a, a side window on Microsoft Word or Excel, and it can really, uh, I guess, um, accelerate adoption. But also, yeah, I guess people can be just far more accustomed to using it far quicker than, than most other companies. Yeah. Yeah. No. I would um, think that the, there is still probably a risk for Microsoft or uh, OpenAI where because it's still early, the product isn't going to be perfect yet. And people might lose faith in that initial uh, kind of adopter of it. Like I know that I've tried stuff with it and it's just come up with completely rubbish answers. And so if people try it out on Microsoft, they then think, well, they then find that it doesn't work. Then they just go back to Google and they become permanent Google <laughs> uh, people again. Then maybe that initial, 
maybe there's a disadvantage to being the first mover in this kind of industry. You want to get the answer right, not just be the first to market. Mm. I also watched an interesting interview yesterday with uh, Sachin Adela, mm. uh, the CEO of Microsoft. And uh, he had this one stat, which had just stayed in my mind. And he he said that Google makes more from, so he, he said that uh, search is the most profitable business in the world. And that's why mm. they're going to go crazy to try and get into well, to try and do whatever they can to break Google's monopoly on it. But he said that Google makes more money from search on Microsoft machines than all of Microsoft. That's extraordinary. <laughs> um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. It just And so that's where I, I'm kind of an optimist on Google. I don't know how it's going to work out with the uh, open AI, but here we have the most profitable, like the biggest money-making machine in history, basically. And uh, it's got a complete monopoly in the most profitable industry in the world right now. And yeah, we're just kind of, people are, are selling it and panicking because of what might disrupt that. And maybe it does disrupt it, but um, I don't know. I wouldn't bet against it just yet. Microsoft is, I must say, for me personally, it's a business I absolutely loathe um, because they've never once in what, how many years that started in the 80s, maybe for 40 years, they've never made a decent product. Um, Excel, I'll give them. Okay, Excel is a good product. Word is a ripoff of, of WordPerfect. Um, and they've, they've never done anything good. Anything they try um, from scratch is a disaster. They, and I just think that the sprawling empire, like they, they've just bought bits and pieces, which I don't quite get. You know, they're trying to buy this big gaming business mm. now. I, I, it, it's a company that that's, I think, that's acted stupidly for, for decades and been saved by its core monopoly. And, and that core monopoly is really powerful. But I, I, I'm not sure I'd back Microsoft on this. I think they're very good at that, uh, that core office um, and 360. I think that's an amazing product. They've done well on cloud. They've got the best corporate distribution channel. I think Google can't compete with, with, the, um, with the Microsoft um, just, you know, sales um, that, that they have with, um, uh, with all their experience selling corporate gear. But... You know, we, we I mean we're using Zoom right now, and we mm -hmm. typically use Teams, and it's rubbish. Every product um, Microsoft ever has released has been rubbish. Their phones, their tablets, <laughs> their laptops, any piece of software with Microsoft on it is rubbish. Okay, there's few companies I loathe as much as Microsoft, but um, I, I kind of liked their phones. They just didn't have any apps on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and. Oh. Um, not, not, not that this is an Apple fanboy talking here, but Apple did uh, $100 billion in their quarterly revenue. I just, I just throw that out there. So I think the iPhone still is probably the most profitable business ever, ever, ever. Yeah. And it's hard to see that that changing, but um, I'll throw that out there. Hey, well, just one quickly, quick story that came to mind for me was um, this Google demonstration they did. Um, um, <laughs> look, it, it's kind of funny that it failed, but... Um, I, I remember reading that um, when Steve Jobs got up to demonstrate um, the original iPhone in 2007, mm -hmm. um, it wasn't working backstage, right? Um, the engineers told him, like, we're not sure this thing is going to work. And he got up there all ballsy and, and got the phone out. And there was this moment where the phone may not have worked. Like, it was just a 50-50. Um, it was just a dead gamble <laughs> that maybe would have worked, maybe it wouldn't have worked. And um, just the world would have looked could have looked much more different if Jobs had got up on that stage and the phone didn't work. Um, and we all know what happened. You know, of course it did. And, and this is an amazing product, amazing business. 
But I, I just keep that in mind that there's a lot of luck involved in these businesses and, and not all of them are by design. So I, I'm willing to give Google um, a bit of benefit here. Um, I, I think it's still an amazing business. I, I probably would back them to create something amazing to challenge ChatGTP. And it could be similarities just on that story. I mean, the iPhone was second to BlackBerry, but it was just yeah. a better product. That's Google yeah, yeah. Google was, I don't know, fourth, fifth or sixth to Yahoo and a bunch of other search yeah, engines. Yeah, yeah, you're right. And then, yeah. uh, so th- there's no, you don't have to be first. It's not, you know, it's mm. not a prerequisite to being the, the winner. It was mm. just disappointing last night <laughs> after. Um, for know, sure. Yeah. You, you feel for it. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, gents, um, anything else we want to cover, gentlemen? I think we've probably been rambling for long enough and uh, reporting season hasn't gotten really in full swing, um, but uh, it ought to fairly soon. Um, so you see more, more um, reporting content on the site as th- these companies um, get, get into gear. Um, but, It'll be um, flooding from me next week. <laughs> yeah, no, for you, you'll probably, yeah. I, I think the, the way it works is the better quality business tend to perform first. So I end, always end up with the late uh, reporters. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how that's happened. How I end up covering all the all the crap stuff. And you Actually, you know, I wonder if you're onto something there where, yeah, yeah. They, they all have that deadline of whatever it is, something yeah. late February. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe the ones who are kind of a bit more organised, they get their <laughs> yeah. their reports out early. The others leave it to the last minute and do an all nighter. <laughs> I, I I noticed this actually from the from our office dynamic that you and JC um, and um, you and JC in particular, you you guys have the the better quality businesses. Like you guys are always busy at the beginning of the month, and I'm kind of not doing very much. And towards the end of the month, you guys are um, a bit uh, settling down and I'm ramping up towards the end of the month because I've got the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the crappy ones. Maybe we could create an artificial intelligence-like, renaissance-like other uh, algorithm to... Uh, There's something there. There is definitely, definitely something there. Um, we should right, have done a live demonstration of, of that right now and asked, <laughs> asked, like, what will be the worst performing company this reporting season or something? <laughs> See if it gets it right. I haven't actually gone around. I've seen lots of uh, videos and heard stories of of this um, ChatGTP news. I haven't really used it myself. I, you know, it's, it's it, the other thing we should keep in mind. This is the third iteration. Like this thing is amazing for something that's only very very new. I think it's going to get. It probably is going to get a lot better. Not just this particular software, but the whole AI chain is probably going to get a lot bit better. And the image generator is impressive too. Yeah, I've seen some images come out of that, and I'm I'm blown yeah. away. I think um, I've been seeing yeah. these different houses that are designed in these different styles, and I think, boy, what use is there an architect anymore when this thing can create these beautiful houses from scratch? No, it's astonishing, isn't it? I agree. The image the image um, AI is, if anything, sometimes even more impressive, and it really shocks me because you know. For the last 30 years, I feel as though we've been told, and I don't know if you guys agree, but we've been told that we all knew AI was coming, but we've been told that AI can't paint you a painting. It can't write you a, a poem. Can't yeah, tell it doesn't you a do story. creative stuff. <laughs> it can do all of that. It can do all of that in, in you know, Tony Soprano's voice or in, in punk rock. It can definitely just... paint better than I can. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's the big, the big shock. I mean, yeah, the fact that we have AI doesn't shock me, but the fact that it's doing things that we were always told robots could never do um yeah i think that's probably why everyone's a bit a bit scared about that i think the 
You know, most most big tech um, advances are greeted with um, with with lots of euphoria and, and happiness, and then maybe just the circles I hang out with. But this one, there's a lot of trepidation, worry, and concern. Um, maybe that's because we've all seen too much Terminator. <laughs> now, you you speaking of Terminate, I think we ought to jump off, and uh, we've rambled um, <laughs> long enough. So, Graham, thank you for for joining us this morning or evening. I think it is for you. Thanks, Gore. And Nick, thanks very much for uh, taking time from your bar fridge experience. And uh, <laughs> I wish. <laughs> and, and, and joining us, yes. Uh, for everyone else, um, thanks for listening.